You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 44. Today, we're asking the question, what do we mean when we talk about safety culture? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. So wow, Drew, safety culture, it's taken us till episode 44 to get around to dedicating a whole episode to this topic. And I think we mentioned in episode 33 on institutional logics that we should do do this episode. So again, you know, this topic's not something that we can do justice in a single podcast. So we thought we would start with, I suppose, one of the ontological questions, which would be, what do we mean when we talk about safety culture? Andrew? I'd like to ask our listeners a question right at the start. As we as we go through this episode, have a think about the specific questions that you have on safety culture and add them to the comments on the Safety of Work LinkedIn page when this episode comes out. And then we might be able to dig out some more specific papers and address some more specific questions that you have in relation to safety culture. But Drew, how would you like to start us off today? So Dave, you found and have put the effort into reading the paper that we're going to talk about. I just wanted to give a little bit of background on the term safety culture. Uh, one of the things that you sort of noted in the original notes was that everyone started talking about safety culture after Chernobyl, but that's not where the term safety culture comes from. This was really something that was a very popular way of talking and thinking about management science back in the 1970s. Lots and lots of stuff was written about organizations as reflections of the society they were within. And sociologists started sort of treating organizations as these microcosms or miniature societies that reflected the outside society and included aspects of it inside the organization. And then management theorists started talking about it almost as if organizations had personalities. So organizational culture was almost like a synonym for the personality of IBM or the personality of Bell. The ideas come over into safety, as far as I know, several different times. Some that people might have heard of. Um, so Barry Turner in the 1970s talked about organizational accidents as failures of intelligence. David, I can't remember Turner actually specifically talking about safety culture. I think generally we'd say that he didn't use the word safety culture, but the way he talked about things that were important to safety or or probably associated with the cause of accidents, we would we would like liken the way that he talked about them to the way that, you know, many people describe safety culture in more modern papers. Yeah, and he was definitely a sociologist coming out of that group of people who talked about organizational culture. Um, and then we've got an author lots of people may have heard of, Dov Zohar. In 1980 he started talking about safety climate. Now climate and culture are not the same thing but they come out of that same sort of theoretical structure. So the sort of broad idea is that culture is deep-seated beliefs and values, often sort of coming a lot from the external social culture. And then climate's the recurring pattern of behaviours and perceptions that comes out of the cultures. So this didn't get talked about explicitly in safety until the IAEA report into Chernobyl. And it drew heavily on these organisational theories and it introduced the term safety culture almost as if it was like a well-established and accepted idea. And then they got surprised when no one knew what they were talking about. And they published another whole report saying, what did we mean when we said safety culture? And ever since then, lots of people have 
talked about safety culture without ever properly defining it, or they've tried to go back and define and explain it, but without any real consensus. It was just people giving their individual opinions. To the extent that there's a consensus now, and we'll talk about that a bit with this paper, most sort of people who deal with this focus now on safety climate. And the argument is really that culture only matters because it influences climate. And climate's what we measure and what we try to change. So what's the actual point of talking about culture instead of talking about climate? And yeah, we might get into that a bit as we go through the paper. So Drew, there's been a number of literature review papers that have covered uh, safety culture or different aspects of safety culture. But the paper that I I found to discuss today was a little bit unique because it was trying to scrutinise the history of that term culture within the safety research literature. And I thought this was important for our listeners because and I thought the first full topic that we do on safety culture would just say, what do we mean when we talk about safety culture, which is the title of this episode? So when people talk about you know safety culture within the literature, uh, what are they actually talking about? And one of the things that jumped out at me, uh, like you said, Drew, and the authors agree with what you said there is we don't have an agreed definition. The authors of this paper kind of felt that that was okay because culture is being used, you know, it's appropriate to use this term culture to represent this safety related knowledge or intelligence as, as Turner might have called it, that might be declared like climate or it might be tacit like culture. And it's difficult to express using other, our existing concepts. So the authors sort of said that that's okay for research to do that. But, you know, from my perspective reading that, I thought that's a, that's a bit of a cop out. But that's a bit like researchers not taking the effort to specifically describe and and maybe clearly label the phenomena that they're theorizing or researching. It's almost like if we don't have a way of talking about it, we can just use this general term and people will know what we mean. Yeah, I I don't think it's a cop out by the particular authors that we're talking about today, because all they're trying to do is summarize the literature. But I think they're making excuses for the literature that the literature does not deserve. Uh, One of my favorite paper titles is by Zhang which is just safety culture, a concept in chaos, question mark. And whenever you see a question mark in the paper of a title, the answer is either going to be yes or no. And this paper was definitely arguing yes. They just say this concept is so confused, we can't even have discussions about it anymore because people mean so many different things by the same term. And that might be a good thing for our listeners to reflect on just right now. You might, you know, hit pause on your on your player or something. Just, you know, grab a piece of paper and when you when you say safety culture, write down a few sentences of of what you mean by that. That might be a good thing to do. So, assuming that you're now back with us, um, let's talk about this paper. So, the paper that we chose for today is titled "What Do We Mean When We Talk About HSE and Culture: A Mapping and Analysis of the Academic Discourses." Now, right up here, Drew, I'll just say that the word HSE in that is in the title there. And the authors specifically used HSE uh, instead of safety. And we'll talk about that in a second. But HSE, for those who who aren't aware, stands for Health, Safety and Environment, which is just one of those acronyms that industry uses like EHS or SHE or SHEQ or QSE or, or whatever they use to describe their department or their management system that incorporates safety. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But the authors are Rolf Bai, Azerban Arnalberg and Jens Rorik. So I apologise if I haven't got those, haven't got my Norwegian right, but the authors are all from uh, Sintef and NTNU in Norway. And Drew, there's a lot of good safety research that's been done from these organisations in Norway, uh, particularly in relation to the oil and gas and the maritime industries, and also in you know describing and applying more contemporary safety theory. Drew, you you you've um, put a note in there that these authors have quite a 
eclectic collection of papers. So do you want to talk about some of the other things they've written? So everything ranging from very specific maritime or oil and gas topics to human factors to some sort of modern safety theory papers. I've only found a couple of papers that mention safety culture in their list of things they've published. I think in this particular case, that's fair enough. These aren't safety culture specialists, but they obviously know the field enough to be able to do a proper literature review in the field. And I think having that little bit of an independent outsider perspective helps when you're trying to deal with a concept where there's big divisions within the community about what the concept means. It means they're not going to be taking sides. No, that's a good point, Drew. And, and this, so this is a recent paper. It was published in 2020 uh, in Safety Science. So, Drew, like we said, this is a literature review, and I was sort of fascinated by the background of this research. So, um, and we're not, I'm not sure exactly how it was funded, but the authors say that this research project was all about studying the consequences of the introduction of a single paragraph into the Norwegian Petroleum Regulations that required, uh, in quotes, an HSE culture. That includes, in quotes, all phases and activity areas shall be encouraged through continuous work to reduce risk and improve health, safety, and environment, uh, end quote. You know, the, the Norwegian Petroleum Regulator had inserted this legislative obligation to require uh, oil and gas companies to have a HSE culture. And we know, Drew, also that you mentioned um, IAEA or the International Atomic Energy Association earlier, and they've required the nuclear industry to have a, have a safety culture for a long time and have a global program of safety culture audits for all uh, nuclear, operate, nuclear power operators. So that's the genesis of the paper. Anything... To, to sort of comment in relation to putting the requirement to have a HSE culture into a regulation? I, I, I find it deeply problematic, to be honest, but that is probably something that we need to take as the topic for another discussion. But it, it's a little bit like trying to measure safety climate by use of Likert scale surveys. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything in a definition or explanation of safety culture that suggests that it's something that can or should be audited. Yeah, and look, I think it's like one of those things because, I mean, yeah, whether it can be audited, whether it can be can be categorised, whether it can be described, we'll talk about a few of these things in a minute, but it'd be kind of like having a um, Department of Human Services regulatory requirement to be a good parent. So, Drew, look, they, they found 229 papers that had HSC and culture in the title. Now, straight away, they use these terms in their literature review, culture and HSE, and they were looking for both of those terms to exist in the same paper. And so the authors acknowledged that papers that just had the term safety in them and not HSE weren't in this sample of 229 papers. However, we, we felt and, and I felt, Drew, that this paper was still worth talking about in relation to safety culture. And even the author said that 75% of the papers, when they said HSE, they, they meant just safety. And I think, you know, they were using the term HSE. And I think this happens a bit in research Drew, where depending on where the funding grant comes from or the industry that the paper's trying to target or or the common language of the practitioners can influence how what language researchers use. Yeah, there's no good justification for just using the term HSE instead of all of its synonyms. At least no, no good academic justification for it. I, I'm sure the reason they did it was that there were just too many papers that show up when you use synonyms. They had to have some way of cutting it down to a manageable sample. And they did it just by being strict on the terms they used. They sort of make the point in their paper that you can't necessarily then generalise from HSE to broader safety culture. But 
there's no particular reason to think that HSC papers are a subset or even a particularly meaningful subset. So it, it's a rather weird and awkward thing to do. Having looked through the findings, I, I, I think there are reasonable reasons to think that the findings do just generalize to safety culture. Yeah. So Drew, look, they, they ask a couple of specific research questions to to sort of what, what are we talking about? So what they're trying to answer is um, who's writing about, let's just go back to safety culture. So who's writing about safety culture? So when they say HSE, are they talking about health or safety or environment or a combination of these? What methods get used when we're studying uh, safety culture? What are the most frequently used references for safety culture or definitions? You know, when they say culture, what are they talking about in terms of what does this denote? You know, what are they describing? And to what extent are the papers normative? And I suppose, Drew, normative means in terms of to what extent are the papers describing what should be as opposed to being descriptive and describing what is. So I think the the, the authors themselves had this hypothesis that the, the variation in the use of the term safety culture may be associated with the different subcommunities of safety researchers. So who the researchers are or the authors are how the research was designed, what country it was done in, what industry they were talking about was all going to influence the way that safety culture was defined and described. So Drew, the authors developed a set of categories to code the papers, and I might just talk about some of these and, and get your perspective on them. So they got each of these 229 papers and they they got you know the demographics, the name of the paper, the year, the number of citations. Then they really started focusing on the author. They wanted to know who the author was what their professional background was, what their national, what their current location and their and their national or ethnic background was, you know, what industry that they were talking about or studying or referring to when they were writing the paper, and how the research was designed. Then they had a whole bunch of categories on conceptualization of culture. So because they were going to do a lot of quantitative analysis to try to figure out relationships between who the authors were and those things that I just described and how they talked about culture, they needed categories. Uh, to to plug into their statistical test, Drew. So we might talk about each one of these. So the first one was the extent of the community. So when they talked about culture, were they talking about something that was national, like you said, like something that was a factor of the broader social construct that the organisation operated within? Or were they talking about a subset of that, like an organisation or even groups within an organisation? So I think, Drew, that goes back to your, you know, the early uh, work of culture in the 70s versus maybe some of the more um, specific descriptions of safety culture in the last 20 years. Then they were looking about whether culture was something that was within or between communities. So this is whether the description of culture was either a factor of many factors associated with an organisation or a more holistic term. So I like the way the authors describe this is, is a safety culture something an organisation has or is a safety culture a description of something that the organisation is? So by that, I mean is, do you have safety culture, safety management systems, safety leadership, safety risk management? So safety culture is just another factor or is safety culture this holistic, all-encompassing description of what your organization is? So Drew, then um, the location of culture, this is, this, is, um, this is sort of interesting and this gets us a bit closer to some of the discussion we had in the Institutional Logics episode. So here the authors were interested in differentiating between perspectives of culture. So a term that I hadn't heard before, but is it an ideational system? So, you know, straight away in here, I thought about hearts and minds. So is this about mental models, beliefs, attitudes, values, uh, and the things inside, let's say, the hearts and the, the heads of individuals? Or is it more about social norms, social practices, social behaviours within a sort of a, a local and social context? 
So this is getting a little bit closer to when, even though everyone was talking about culture, Drew, I think this was getting a little bit closer to whether they were talking about culture or whether they were talking about climate. And I think we can see in these papers that there's a there's a fair fair range of definitions that you know go inside and outside of you know what we might think of as culture. Yeah, the authors I don't think say this directly, but they're really sort of getting at: do people even make the distinction between culture and climate, or do they treat culture as this very vague thing that encompasses both beliefs and logics and behaviours? And if you sort of put that together with the location and level of abstraction, all of these questions sort of add together about just how vague are people being? <laughs> Have they pinned culture down to a specific clear concept that sits somewhere? Or does it expand across all activities, all types of leadership, all concepts of beliefs, behaviours, attitudes, perceptions? Or have they like pinned it down to a specific thing? And I think, Drew, then, so so what we've got is we've got 229 papers. We've got a whole lot of um, sort of demographical information, methodological information, and then all of these categories that say, you know, okay, so these people with these sorts of um, research approaches, you know, what are they doing? And, and what are they talking about? And what are they saying? So they got all of this data and they plugged it into a whole range of statistical tests through um, some standard symmetrical biplots, which looks at sort of like what are the relationships between two different variables. Then they did a whole bunch of significance and reliability tests. And then so we're into the into the results. So for example, two things might be. So what's the relationship between the background of the authors and whether they write descriptive or normative papers? You know, one of the early results is that authors from a social science background write about culture in a generally descriptive way and authors from engineering backgrounds are more likely to write normative papers and psychologists are somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that, that one I think is un unsurprising but important. Uh, David, I don't know if you've run into this teaching classes in safety, but when the topic of culture comes up, one of the challenges is always that social scientists are trying to teach it as if it is this descriptive thing. So we describe cultures, we don't measure them. And then engineers come into the class and they say, well, if you can't measure it, what good is it? How do we know whether we can make it better or not? And the whole point is that to a social scientist, there's no better or worse culture. There's just a culture and you describe what it is. Yeah, and I think, Drew, by the time people are authoring academic papers, they've they've been through a whole lot of academic and professional training in particular disciplines. And those disciplines, you know, very much do have a way of thinking about thinking, you know, or, or thinking about way of, let's just say, worldviews and, and ways of thinking about the world. And I suppose that, you know, when you're looking at things through a certain set of glasses, then everything looks kind of a certain way. And you know, you and I are no different, Drew, in the way that we see the world. Well, you might be, you've had a more of a confused career pathway than than I have or disciplined pathway than I have, part engineer and part social scientist, but I'm very much come through a, a psychology and social science background. So, you know, maybe you can be a little bit less narrow in your views than I can be. I thought you were about saying that uh, I have permission to dump on the engineers because I have an engineering degree. I, I think it is really fascinating, particularly when it comes to who writes about culture? So as well as these sort of things that social scientists tend to be more descriptive, engineers tend to be more normative, psychologists in the middle, 42% of the papers are by engineering authors, 30% of them are by psychology authors, 14% uh, from the health sciences, 10% from the social sciences, 3% from business, which I found remarkable given that organisational culture comes out of social science of organizations 
So the people who are least sort of equipped or embedded in all of the ideas that organizational comes from are the ones who talk about it the most. And the people you would expect to be most ingrained in ideas like culture and talking about it as an explanation for why people do what they do are the ones who study it and talk about it least in safety. Um, it sort of reminds me of this idea about, you know, amateurs talk about tactics and professional study logistics. I really think that maybe there's this thing where culture is a sort of exotic and interesting idea to engineering authors. Whereas to social science authors, it's a fairly sort of stale and 1970s, like, you know, the lime green cabinets in your kitchen. People, you know, just aren't interested in talking about anymore. No, that's good. And any of our listeners who are engineers, make sure you direct those comment any of your feedback directly to <laughs> directly to Drew's inbox. Um, I'll give you the email if you if you want it. But look, and I think also this might be one limitation of the sample, Drew, because um, because depending on the papers, people who are choosing to say HSE in their paper instead of safety might be more practitioner orientated in some of the heavy industries. I think also, you know, some of the timing these papers were between 1992 and 2013. So depending on what was going on in some of these um, safety science laboratories and who was staffing them and who was writing about them, that it, it, it'd be interesting just to see who was involved in, in safety science research more broadly at, at that point in time. You know, whether this was representative of the safety science uh, research field or whether this was, you know, something quite different to the rest of the field. Yeah, no, no, that's a fair comment. We don't really know what the um, underlying sort of sample that this is drawn from because of that use of the term HSE. If they'd restricted, restricted it, for example, to certain journals, then we'd know what the background population was from those journals. Like if they were looking specifically at safety science, then we'd know that safety science tends to be psychologists and social scientists. So the engineers would be remarkable. But if they're drawing from like oil and gas publications, then you know, lots and lots of those authors are from engineering departments. Yep, great, Drew. So we might have saved you a little bit of a little bit of hate mail there, just with getting you dug out of that one. So, so what industry are they talking about? So, twenty six percent of the papers are from transportation, twenty three percent from oil and gas, eight percent from nuclear, thirty percent just uh, come from a diverse range of industry areas like healthcare, manufacturing, construction, mining, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, firefighting, fishing, defence, agriculture, and service industries. And then fourteen percent are more broadly, I suppose, through just theory papers or don't address a specific industry or a or a or a literature review papers or those types of things. And I, and I think that I think that's sort of kind of interesting. I think the thing that's interesting about some of those things is when they were done. So, like between ninety two and ninety nine, um, most of the papers are addressing no specific industry. So this might be where people just started generally talking about safety culture post Chernobyl. A couple of years after the report into Chernobyl came out. People just started theorizing and talking about maybe safety culture. And then it seems between 2000 and 2006 that the research was really focused on the nuclear and the oil and gas industries. And I suppose nuclear was obvious because of Chernobyl and about the, the same year or so, about the time of Chernobyl, the year before, you know, you have Piper Alpha and there's, you know, a number of oil and gas industry incidents. So that becomes, a, a, a I suppose, an environment where attention and research money starts to flow into the oil and gas industry. And then from 2007 to 2013, you know, transportation and other industries pick it up, typically maybe feeling like they're potentially a little bit behind nuclear and oil and gas. So they're trying to actually, you know, catch up to what they think are some of these more mature industries. But that's That was really interesting to me to see the way that the papers fell through, you know, through those time ranges and those industries. Yeah, yeah, that sort of wave of coming into an industry and then back out again uh, clearly seems to be driven by 
industry attention on that particular topic. So, Drew, 80% of the papers stem from research in Europe, North America, and Australia. So they really looked at even the authorship background, something like over 60% of the authors were in Europe and North America and the UK alone. So what the paper concludes is that, you know, any generalizations that we make about safety culture, like generalizable to like global countries or, or companies with global companies, sorry, or companies with operations outside of, let's say, um, the Anglo world, you know, really probably shouldn't be used to think about, you know, culture in some of those areas where there's pretty much been no research, you know, done in the same kind of way. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in there, David. I'm I'm almost 100% sure that that is a side effect of the HSE term. I'm very confident that there is lots of safety culture research outside of Europe, North America and Australia. It's actually very popular on the subcontinent and in China and in with Middle Eastern researchers. They just don't call it HSE, they call it safety culture or safety climate. All right, well, that's a good that's a good pickup, Drew, and I think you see what flows through the safety science editorial queue. So, you know, I know I know there's I, I know generally even when we do safety professional research or, or other research, there is a lot of research that comes out of um, you know, those those other countries other than those that we talked about here. So that's going to be a term issue. But but that said, I will say that the idea of a national culture bias is also very, very valid that you know, because the term came out of originally Western authors. And one of the interesting thing paper does is sort of sort of tracks where people got their definition of culture from. That definitely means that a lot of the things that we talk about in safety culture are very much you can see the Western individualistic mindset coming through, even though that we're talking about culture. Yeah, absolutely, Drew. So let's just talk about that now. So that they looked at who what were the most frequent references in these papers. So when the authors of these 229 papers introduced the term culture, who did they cite in relation to that definition and or, or what definition did they did they give that they were talking about? And so, you know, the most free, the top three frequent references for the authors sort of like pinning their work back to an underlying definition or theory or approach to culture was um, the top one was um, James Reason or Jim Reason. Second was Edgar Schein and third was Gert Hofstetter, um, who sadly passed away earlier this year. So they're fairly prominent names in the Western sort of culture world, Drew. Yeah, although interesting because you know, Jim Reason was primarily a human factors researcher. He he talks about organizational safety, but he was by no means you know, sort of concentrating on safety culture as a key topic of research. I think this is somewhat indicative of a lack of a sort of theoretical core to the profession that people they mention the word safety culture and they think, oh, I've got to cite someone for it. Who will I cite? Oh, who do I think of? James Reason, Shine, Hofstetter, pick one, cite them. Don't really think about what they had to say about it. Yeah, so look, you're right, Drew. Look, so and 40, 41% or something of the papers didn't link any citation to their core term culture or didn't include a definition of what they were talking about with culture. And 60% who did include a definition, you know, were either mostly vaguely did that, Drew, which was just, you know, lean on a previous author or just and put a citation in there or, you know, provided some sort of broad or non-specific definition. And I think Drew, the authors said that this finding might partly reflect that culture is so incorporated as part of our everyday language of both the authors as well as potentially the readers that it makes it possible of getting away without defining it. I remember trying to think about, has it have every paper that I've written on the safety professional, have I actually stopped it in the introduction and defined when I say safety professional, this is what I mean. I know I did it um, as a result of one piece of peer review feedback where I put that definition in there about, you know, the safe professional is, is someone who's um, 
dominant role and purpose in the organization is primarily directed towards safety outcomes as opposed to delivering you know on the core business of the organization so i actually got asked to define it by by one peer reviewer because until then i think i was just not thinking of the need to define it so drew in terms of research design half the papers were quantitative so when we say quantitative so half of the the, the research papers were think primarily surveys and and reviewing incident data 29% were based on other publications so you know reprocessing data from other research or literature reviews and then 20% were qualitative message which qualitative methods which were primarily interviews or case case descriptions or case studies yeah if you think about it david that's remarkable that 30% of the papers weren't empirical in any sense they were just you know, people talking about safety culture as if they knew about it or summarizing other people who had talked about it you can see how a term can get vague when we're not really doing a lot to analyze it um, particularly given that a lot of these quantitative ones are just applying the concept of culture to do the measurement they're not you're know, using the measurement to refine or improve our understanding of safety culture so we just got lots of recycled and reinterpreted ideas. Yeah, you're right, Drew. And, and and the authors say that this contributes to this safety culture discourse being kind of dominated by individual perceptions and attitudes because of this sort of weighting of survey-based research designs and also predominantly about etic case descriptions. So etic is kind of like the perception of the observer or the researcher versus like an emic description, which is like the, what the actual perception of the observee or the actors and the people involved are. And then the authors conclude that there's just like this real absence of studies where researchers have looked at actual work practice within actual organizations, you know, with methods that are using sense, sense making methods, you know, that involve the actors and the people within those organizations or within the groups that the researcher is trying to understand and describe, which I think can take to take our listeners back to about episode 20, where we talked about our manifesto for reality based safety science through with um with the conclusion after a big literature review of 229 papers, I think that statement would be true of many of the other literature reviews of core concepts in safety science. Although I, I think we really should take hold culture to a higher standard even though than some of those other things. If you ask anyone what they mean by culture, even if we're not going to give it a precise definition, anyone would say that you, know, you understand a culture from the inside. You understand a culture from the beliefs and values that people hold. And so it's rather shocking then how little of safety culture research tries to understand the beliefs and values that people hold instead of like coming in from the outside and applying surveys and quantitative measures. Yeah. So, so Drew, let's go through a couple of findings and then we'll talk about some practical takeaways. So some perspectives on culture are, are dominant. So what the authors say that this conceptualization of culture as shared and aligned perceptions and attitudes about, you know, safety. So that idea of, you know, it's a, it's this shared and consistent between people in a group about their attitude towards safety. And they're also this um, conclusion that, you know, culture is this ideational thing. So it's not, so it's not something that's real that we can touch and feel it and see it. You know, it's like I said, more about hearts and minds or if you're or hearts and minds or something like it's about the vibe. So, you know, culture is about the vibe about safety in the organization. And culture is one factor amongst several factors that influence safety. So safety culture, safety leadership, safety management system. So those three things, shared and aligned perceptions, it's about the vibe, not what you can touch and see. And it's one of several factors um, that are relevant to safety in an organization. And then Drew, they then go on to say that 
relatively few few papers take a, a you know a, a differing perspective to that, and they describe this differing perspective in some of their categories as you know relatively few papers describe culture as a holistic meta metaphor, you know, used to denote all of the systemic relationships within an organizational system that could influence safety or as something that develops in the interaction between people within a particular organizational context. And so there, Drew, I'd take, so that, that um, systems view or that, that development of actions between people and that sense-making that goes on, I'd take people back to episode 33, and that's the sort of thing that we we're talking about with institutional logics, which is why it's probably seen to be something that's different than what the way that safety culture is talked about in literature when we made that reference within that episode. Yeah, there are certainly voices within the literature that call for more of those other concepts of culture. So I'm thinking, for example, of some work by Beth Kewell, who talks about the importance of studying culture by looking at the interactions between people and what they reveal about power structures and commonly held beliefs and assumptions and who gets to challenge those beliefs and assumptions. A lot of these other papers pay lip service to that, but once they get into how they actually look at culture, they step away from closely interrogating those interactions and they get more into this just vague culture as a vibe. So, Drew, I thought we might move on to practical takeaways if you're okay with that. Uh, Yep, let's indeed. I'm sure our listeners are wondering what could you possibly have in terms of practical takeaways from that episode about what do we talk about when we mean when we talk about culture, but I'm going to throw, throw a couple out there. So, if you're using the word safety culture, make sure you immediately follow up the that those words with, and when I use the term safety culture, I mean, and then finish off that sentence for yourself. So don't be someone who throws the term safety culture out and do what 40% of the authors in, in this paper do and not tell people what you mean by it. Because just know that whoever you're talking to about safety culture is going to have a different idea about what you're talking about than what you might actually be talking about. Andrew, I think if the same goes if someone mentions safety culture to you, as soon as someone says something to you about safety culture, ask them what they mean. And you might need to ask them a few times, like, Drew, I think I, I wrote in here, like, let's call this the five what do you means, which is like people might know the five whys with accident investigation, although we can probably do a podcast on that as well. But it might be like, ah, oh, you know, we need to improve safety culture. What do you mean by that? Oh, we need to improve the beliefs of our people. Oh, what do you mean by that? And just keep going until you actually get to what someone is actually trying to uh, to tell you. And David, I thought about this one the moment you said at the start of the episode, inviting our listeners to write down what they meant by safety culture. If what you've got written down on your piece of paper is the way things are done around here, or that's the answer someone gives you when you ask about safety culture... That really is not good enough. If what you mean is the way things are done around here, then just say that. If you're going to use a term like safety culture, what work are you trying to do by introducing that concept? What's the specific meaning that gives you something different from just talking about doing work? If we're going to talk about culture, we need to be specific if we want it to be useful, either for our understanding or for our safety improvement. Knowing what we mean is the first sign in being able to actually directly intervene in dealing with it. Yeah, exactly right, Drew. And I think that's not bad advice for a lot of our general terms that we use in safety. Like we want to improve leadership accountability or we want to improve the personal ownership of our workforce or some of these other things that we throw out there with the assumption that we understand, we, you know, we're clear in what we're talking about and that's a good check to ask yourself. But it, it, even if you are, 
just assume that people won't interpret those words, um, those big words in the same way that you will. So what I hope also, Drew, is that um, our listeners have got out of the discussion is that when people talk about the safety culture literature or they talk about safety culture as being absolutely linked to you know, safety outcomes or really well proven in the literature, I just hope our listeners took away that this whole body of research is generally ill-defined. It's generally poor quality in terms of what it's trying to uh, measure and understand, and it's quite fragmented. And I think that's why a number of the prominent safety science researchers in this, and even those who published a lot in the safety culture space, um, and you know, our listeners might be familiar with Frank Goodman or um, or Andrew Hopkins and others. They've, you know, the last decade or so, they've, you know, made lots of public calls for us to move on from the term and start to be more specific about what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the fact that Goldenman's really only written one full paper about safety culture. And he basically said, let's just stop this. And then so many researchers just cite him, you safety culture, cite Goldenman, and then just go on and use the term uncritically. So Drew, anything you'd like else to know from our listeners other than maybe just see what they wrote down as their definition or um, what they might like us to talk about in the future in relation to safety culture? Yeah, I, I think it's having some of those questions, understanding what work this concept is doing within your organization what are the demands for doing things about safety culture how are you using the term how are you using the concept what would be useful to you to know uh, particularly a number of our researchers have said they a number of our listeners have said they like it when we talk about specific activities so if you know there are particularly activities you do in that safety culture space that you're interested in what's the evidence for them we'd love to sort of have some pointers as to what you'd like us to talk about and I think, Drew, you've also mentioned a few times if you're a postgraduate researcher or an early career researcher, maybe steer away from asking research questions that have the word safety culture in them or um, or trying to write papers in this area because it's generally poorly done. Yeah, there, there are some landmines you just don't want to step on as a researcher. One of them is trying to create a new method of risk assessment. Uh, number two, right behind that, is trying to create a new or better explanation of safety culture. So Drew, the question we asked this week is, what do we mean when we talk about safety culture? And you know, my go at that answer is, most of the time when we talk about safety culture in the safety literature, it's referring to something that's in the hearts and the minds of individuals, so 60% of the papers here. It's something that's a factor or one factor of a number of things that are relevant to safety. And this is mainly due to the fact that most of the research has been conducted in sort of limited geographies and based on some vague theories and research using questionnaires. And it's about asking individuals about their beliefs and attitudes and then discussing the results in relation to the researchers' normative ideas of what is good and bad. Good summary, David. That's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Or possibly not in the case of this particular episode. Send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com. 